It's Women on Wednesday on The Dana Barrett Show. It is Women on Wednesday. It is The Dana Barrett Show. And we are joined on the phone right now with one of my, or by one of my favorite regular guests, Natalie Molina Nino on the phone. She is an investor, an entrepreneur, author of the book Leapfrog, uh, and an advocate for women and women of color and just, you know, people in general. Natalie, how are you? Hi, I'm doing really well. I've missed you. I know. It's great to talk to you. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you next time you're uh, in Atlanta. But um, I'm glad you had a moment to get on the phone with us today. We on the show have been uh, focusing on diversity and inclusion all month long. And so Mm. it's like super appropriate that we've got you on now because I know you've been doing some posting on the topic of late. I've seen a couple (laughs) of your posts. Um, So just at, at the very highest level, what do those two terms even mean to you? Uh, interesting. Uh, I guess at the very, very high level, it's the idea. I don't like the word diversity. Can I just say that? You, you, of course. I mean, That's why I, I ask you these questions, I don't lady. Like it. <laughs> Tell me why. Okay. So the reason I don't like it is because, you know, Latinx community, for example, make up, what, over 17% of the U.S. population. And when you have something like point, I don't know, I think it's less than 3%, for example, of venture capital going to Latinx entrepreneurs, no one's asking anybody to do anybody's special favors. They're asking them to have the business world reflect reality. So when I think of diversity, I oftentimes just want to replace it with the word reality. We're, We're wanting every aspect of society from business to banking to politics to everything else to reflect reality. Right now, we are in a strange parallel universe where a tiny segment of the population seem to control everything, and that's ridiculous. So I, that's that's my main beef. No, I hear what you're saying, and I think there is um, sort of a um, unfortunate sort of, I don't want to call it a trend, but I, I, I do see people sort of looking at almost more tokenism than real equality, if that makes sense. And I think the more yeah, diversity well, can be an excuse for that. You know, the the things that you see covered in the press are often the first woman president or the first, you know, black CEO or the first, first, first of everything. And, right. you know, I, I mentioned, I think maybe you saw this post. I said the other day, like, don't, it's great to celebrate first, but don't call it progress until you have 30 percent of something. Um, because, you know, we've seen those tokens happen time and again, and they don't tend I mean, sometimes progress happens and you see things continue and that's the first of really good signs. But sometimes it's a token and it's nothing more and we go right back to where we started. Yeah. And I think actually you make a really good point. And, you know, you're you're an excellent starter of movements. So maybe we just need to make it a, a like the 30, like call me when you've got 30 percent movement, because, it, <laughs> you know, because I think you're right about that. For the longest time, we keep celebrating the one CEO of XYZ company that is, you know, black or, or Latinx or a woman or transgender or whatever. Um, and, and then it's just that one. And then the celebration's over and everybody goes back to being exactly how they were before. So, yeah. uh, you know, I like that. And I think, but it's interesting, too, that you talked about reality and the reflection uh, of, you know, society sort of in the workplace, whether it's in investment or, you know, in the boardroom or whatever, because 30, 30% still not it for women, right? I mean, like, not even close. We're getting 
more than 50% of the college degrees, and P.S., we still represent more than 50% of the population. So anything less than 50 requires some questions and yeah. really good answers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So listen, I want to take a little uh, bunny trail with you, Natalie, right now, because we haven't caught up on what you're working on these days. So can you share a little bit about what's on your plate right now? Yeah, well, I don't even know where to begin, but I, I will say that one of the reasons I am excited about being in Atlanta soon is that I'll be speaking alongside what seems like 20 of my friends, uh, some of the most amazing people in the world who are all gathered, including even uh, Michael Blake, the DNC vice chair who's currently running for Congress, uh, Tolu Olubunmi, I don't know if you know her, but she was one of the dreamers who was on the cover of Time magazine when DACA was you know, being discussed back in the day. I mean, just a whole list of amazing people who are all descending on Atlanta for the Smart City Expo um, Atlanta conference. Um, And it's basically just a bunch of really smart people, um, including politicians, including business people, investors like me, um, that are sitting around having deep conversations, um, you know, obviously in an amazing city like Atlanta, about the future of cities, about the environment, about the future of how we grow societies, especially starting with the urban landscape. So um, that's what's sort of first on the horizon. Um, and then beyond that, I continue to do investing. Today, by the way, happens to be, I, I'm not surprised because you've got some special juju going on, but <laughs> it happens to be the one-year anniversary of my book. Uh, when you and I first met, I had just published it. I know. I saw that online also. It feels like it was just the other day, but wow, yeah. a whole year. And you know, congratulations on all the success around the book. I can't believe it's been a year, so I have to ask the obvious question that I ask all authors. When's the next book, Natalie? (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, I don't know. That's kind of like, uh, people say it's a little bit like having a baby, like you're genetically engineered to forget just how hard it was so that you can do it again. That's right. But I don't know that enough time has passed. I'm busy being excited about the fact that Stanford is actually using it um, as part of their curriculum in their entrepreneurship classes. And then I found out yesterday that, uh, Georgia State University has a new program that's also using the book. It was so amazing to see a class filled with a bunch of young women who are all learning to be entrepreneurs with the book. That is phenomenal. Huge congratulations on that. That's amazing. You know, so many authors, I mean, are there's a lot of great authors out there, but a lot of times you write a book and it's, you know, it's making some noise for a minute. You know what I mean? And you're still making noise a year later and schools are picking it up now. That says a lot. Uh, Well, yeah. I mean, and I think it's just because we really, this is going back to your theme on diversity and inclusion. We rarely see, even though the majority of entrepreneurs are women, and even though eight out of every 10 uh, women-led businesses started by a woman of color, we just don't see ourselves on the cover of those business magazines. We're not the case studies at Harvard Business School. We're not the reference point for the culture around business. And so I think part of the reason it's probably having some longevity is just that we don't see ourselves. And, you know, I think we need to do more of that. And that's kind of why I love this topic, right? We just need, especially the young up-and-coming entrepreneurs, to be able to look up and look and see role models that look and sound like them and have had experiences like theirs. Yeah, I, I heartily agree. And I think, you know, there's an interesting um, sort of two-sided, um, you know, war going on here, if you will, or struggle going on here. There's sort of the big systemic issue. How do you get companies to, um, you know, change policies and 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 change culture to, to welcome more people of color, more women, minorities, et cetera? And then there's the pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You figure it out and, and you do it side, right? And I love the fact that you sort of are tackling both because the book is sort of for the individual to say, look, here's the way you can get yourself to the front of the line. And by the way, it's the way everybody, you know, all the white guys that have been at the front of the line have been doing it all along. 
Um, and then you're also kind of on LinkedIn saying, hey, companies, listen up. You know, you're talking, you're speaking out in the world saying, you know, hey, here's the systemic problem. How are you going to fix it? Right. It's literally a failure of of any CEO's fiduciary responsibility to their company. They are paid to maximize returns to shareholders. And whether you're talking about investments, for example, there was a study recently that came out of Stanford and my buddies over at Illumin Capital, and it basically says that one, I believe, point nine, something like that, something ridiculous, but less than 2% of all fund managers, the people that manage our retirement, the people that manage our endowments, the people that are managing our future, less than 2% of them are women or people of color. And it's kind of like, you know, the data shows really clearly that there's being money left on the table. The people like Larry Fink, who likes to write letters about how, you know, investment companies should do good in the world. Well, Larry manages trillions of dollars. He could single-handedly move the dial on this but instead they're busy writing letters and not actually doing anything. Less than 2% of our money is managed by people who look like us. No way. That's yeah, not cool. Yeah, totally. And you you also said before I let you go, um, the other day, something about, you know, if you're working on DNI but you don't have uh, the ear of the CEO and you don't have uh, budgetary control, then you're just talking, right? Look, yeah, we saw it with Uber. We see it every single day. You get these positions that get created that have these titles no one's ever heard of. And they don't actually have any P&L responsibility, and they don't report up to the CEO, which to me just means it's window dressing. And I think that that's one of the telltale signs for those of us that are consumers, for those of us that are voting with our wallets. If you see signs of real progress, then they better be connected to money, and they better have, like you said, the ear of the CEO. Otherwise, as I said before, and as you said, it's really tokenism. Yeah, absolutely. Natalie, always, always great to get your insight. Thank you so much for all the work you're doing and for spending some time with us. 